Good stuff. And church, thank you. Uh, you are consistently, year after year, incredibly generous, incredibly faithful as givers. And thank you very much for that. It's, uh, it's always pretty amazing to me. Um, hey, so, uh, so as, as has been mentioned, this morning's a little bit different. And that includes my teaching this morning. It's, it's uh, being family meeting. It's kind of half sermon, half state of the union. So there's going to be a little of each kind of mixed in there. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about this past year, uh, but I want to focus more on 2023 and some of the things we believe God is leading us to there, because they're, uh, they're kind of juicy, kind of exciting. I want to get into those with you. Um, and I want to frame all this with a text out of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, this is also part of our series we do every January, talking about our vision and values. And one of our core values, the one that we're going to look at this morning, is the value of having brave hearts which is our shorthand for saying we want to be a people who are marked by courageous faith. And I I wanted to do this this particular value this morning on on our annual meeting day uh, for two reasons. One is is this is our story, and we'll recount some of it today, but, but living as people with brave hearts, this has been part of our story from the beginning. God has called us to take some steps of faith that are absolutely nutty. And, and it tells the story of a God who is faithful and who loves it when we trust him enough to, to take some steps in faith. And then second, uh, this morning I, I want to put another big step in front of us that I'm going to be asking you to put into some serious prayer for this next year as we consider what God may be doing with us in the next season. So um, that said, let's pray and let's look at the scriptures together. Uh, Father God, we give you thanks for who you are, for the way that you love us, for what you call us to as your children. We thank you that we are called to be reconciled to you and we are called to be reconcilers in this world. We thank you that we are called to be your children and we thank you that we are called to help others become your children too. Uh, We thank you, God, that you call us into community, that you call us to do this with others, to be known and to know others well. God, we thank you this morning for uh, these new members who have taken that on in a, a very public way. Uh, we thank you, God, for our vision teamers, the leaders who both are cycling off of our team and the new ones we'll be inviting in today as well. We thank you for a church of faithful servants and faithful givers. And God, even as, as we give thanks to we... We pray, too, just for the heartache many of us are experiencing and just the concern we have for our society, for our nation. As many of us saw on television, uh, the the murder of Tyree Nichols, we pray, God, that you would continue to work in our nation to bring healing where there is so much strife, not on the heels of other shootings and other tragedies of of terrorist attack in Jerusalem, of so many signs of how broken our world is. God of righteousness and God of justice, we just pray, have mercy on us. And Lord, would you be using us, making us, and all, all churches of people who seek to follow you, would you be making us into a different sort of person? May we be salt and light in this world, 
May we preserve and purify and extend your kingdom in the ways that you would see it brought about in this world that you love. God, may we do that in our city, in this community, in the South Bay. Would we be representations of Christ? Or to shine your righteousness and your justice forth in this world you love. Uh, so God, will you meet us this morning? Even we, we seek to follow you well as we seek to worship this morning. In song and in scripture and in sacrament and in fellowship. And in doing the business of the church. Uh, we pray God you'd meet us in that. We give you thanks and we trust you for it. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so friends, this is our headline for the morning. To be a brave-hearted Christian, you've got to get out of the boat. This is Matthew 14. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. So here's some context. Uh, This this story occurs right after the feeding of the 5,000, this major ministry life uh, milestone in the life of Jesus and the disciples. And after this, as Jesus commonly did, he decides what's needed now is prayer. We need to recover from this output we've had. And so he sends the disciples on ahead. Jesus goes by himself, gets away, and, and spends the night in prayer. And then, um, and then after that, well, well, I mean, if, have you ever done that thing where maybe you're somewhere with friends at night or something, and afterwards you look around and you're like, it's, you know, I'm not that far from home. It's kind of clear out. It's a nice time. I think I'm just going to walk. Same thing, except he does it on the water, right? So Jesus comes walking across the lake. The disciples see him. It's a very freaky thing to see, of course. But here's the thing that always gets me in this story. So Peter, Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, he wants a proof, right? He doesn't want to do anything crazy. Let's make sure this is Jesus. So Lord, if it's really you, tell me to walk across the water to you, right? And This always gets me because I put myself in that situation and think, I might need a proof too. But it would be a different proof. You know, it would be something like, 
Jesus, if it's really you, tell me what you got me for my birthday this last year. You know, it wouldn't be tell me to get out of the boat and start walking towards you. Something, something much more benign. But, you know, this, this is Peter. This is, uh, this is kind of how Peter rolls, yes? So, uh, on the one hand, you read this and you go, this, this is nutty. You know, who, who in their right mind would do this? Would ask Jesus to tell them to come to him on the water. But... On the other hand, Peter got to walk on water. Who does that? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, God is not going to compel you or I to live a life of adventure and purpose. But he is going to give us the opportunity to do that if we're willing to get out of the boat. Right? If, friends, if, if the Christian life is not an adventure. We are doing something wrong. Because we serve a God of purpose. We serve a God of mission. We serve a God who declares that he is still at work in the world. And his means of doing that work is you and I. If we're willing to walk to him and meet him and be part of what he is doing. If, if we're going to be brave-hearted Christians at some point, we're going to have to get out of the boat. Uh, now, three things. Three things I, I want to point out here, and we'll, we'll put part of our current story inside of this. But if, if you're going to brave heart, if you're going to walk on some water in your life with Jesus, here's what needs to happen. And three things in the text that I just want us to put eyes on here. Uh, I, I think we could say Peter does well. So one is to wait for God's call. Right? Peter, very wisely, uh, he leads with, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Right? Jesus, tell me what to do. He's not looking to be the initiator of his own story. He is looking for Jesus to say what that story will be and to walk in that story. This is an important distinction for us to make. Right? So much better than just jumping out and going swimming, which... Actually, on, on another occasion, Peter does. He kind of has this in him, right? If you go to the end of John's gospel, you've got this beautiful story of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus on the beach, and he's cooking fish, and Peter sees him and realizes that it's him, and he does a full forest gump, just out of the boat, still going. He just jumps out and swims to shore, right? But not this time. He's waiting on Jesus to direct what he is going to do. Uh, and friends, to, to be folks who exercise courageous faith, to be those who are brave-hearted, it doesn't mean being reckless. It, it means listening. It means being attentive to the voice of Jesus. Uh, otherwise, we're, we're not walking on water. We're just going swimming. And that's not what we want. We want to be doing what God calls us to do. Uh, so as, as we go into part of was going into 2023, part of what I want to be calling us to is a prolonged season of prayer, of seeking God's will for some decisions ahead of us. And uh, it starts with waiting for God's call. Second thing we see in Peter, uh, when God calls, take a step, right? This is the get out of the boat part. <clears throat> if God does direct you, if if you're looking for God to call, and he does in fact call, he's directing your steps, at some point 
you have to act. You have to take that first step. And often that first step is, is the hardest one. Um, <laughs> Um, so in college, I, I don't know why. I don't know why any college-age people do the things that they do. But in college, uh, I got into this phase where I took up skydiving. And I, uh, I, made, I made three jumps before I ran out of money and had to move on to a new hobby. But, you know, there's this brief window of time where, where I was into skydiving. And, and my first jump, so they... Uh, they, they took us up in this little tiny Cessna with all of the seats taken out of it. I, I think besides the pilot and co-pilot, there's, there's space in there for four seats. But they took out the seats so they could put six of us in there, plus the person they called the jump master, whose job it is to stand at the door and tell you when it's time for you to jump, right? So anyway, we're going up in the air, and, and it's, as you can imagine, some of you have probably done this, it's a very freaky experience. And so we're all psyching ourselves up and, you know, we're trying to get all, all pumped and convince ourselves how brave we are and all this stuff. And we, we get up to jumping distance, and, or jumping uh, altitude, rather, and, uh, and I'm supposed to go first. And the jump master, he, he looks to me, and the first command that they give you is climb out. And that's not actually jump, it's different. So in the way this plane is configured... You've got this open doorway. There's no door on the plane because who needs it? You're, you know, you're just going to exit anyway. No door. So you move next to the door, and then, uh, and then you, you, grab, you reach out and you grab the strut that supports the, the wing, and then you swing your feet out. And because you're, you're flying very quickly, the wind just grabs your body, and it kind of trails behind you, and you're like Superman hanging onto the strut, right, with your, your feet flapping on the breeze behind you, and then the jump master gives you the command to go, right? And it's, these come very quickly, right? It's like climb out, and you do that, and then you look to the dude, and the dude says, go. And that's when you let go, and you jump, and you fall, and the parachute, and then, you, and then the fun part. And then you're like flying like a bird, and that's very, very exciting. But getting to that point is, is a little nerve-wracking. So I'm supposed to go first. And the jump master is doing his thing, and he's communicating with the pilot, and we're at the right altitude, and the speed is right, and all the things. And then this is, this is a weird little detail, but I'll tell you just because. To, to check the wing, uh, check the, the speed and whatnot, they, they take a roll of toilet paper and toss it out, and they see how it unravels. And that's part of how they test it, right? So he throws the toilet paper. Everything's right. He looks to me, and he says, climb out. And I'm all thoroughly psyched up, right? I've been, I've been working on this as we're getting out. I'm ready. So I do. I climb out. I grab the strut, grab it with my other hand. We're zipping along. My feet are flapping in the breeze behind us. And then I look to him to say, go. And he's not making eye contact with me. He's looking at the pilot. And so I'm just still hanging there, and I'm flapping in the breeze. And I'm still looking at him, and he looks at me, and he doesn't say anything. He looks back to the pilot, and they're communicating. And he looks at me again, says nothing, <laughs> looks back to the pilot. And all this went on for probably not more than 30 seconds, 60 seconds at the most. But that's a very long time to be outside an airplane <laughs> that's in the air. And I'm hanging on, and I'm wondering what has gone wrong that he is no longer telling me to jump. He's just talking with the pilot about whatever, whatever happened. And indeed, he did tell me to get out of the plane too soon. 
So I'm, I'm hanging there, and finally, finally, he says to me, go. But by this point, all courage has left my body. <laughs> I used everything I had just to get into the plane, let the plane get up to altitude, let the plane get up to speed, and then to boldly grab onto the strut when he says, climb out. And he says, go. And I look back at, at the jump master and say, now? <laughs> and he could see at this point that I was losing it, and he, he leans out himself, puts his face right into my face, and screams, go. And I did, and I let go, and the, the rest of the story is good news, as you know, because I'm here. <laughs> Made my first jump successfully. It was all very, very exciting. Uh, but uh, that, that first step, right, climbing out of the plane, climbing out of the boat, that's always the hardest because right? we, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the end result is going to be. That is, that is the very nature of taking a step of faith, is you don't know what's going to happen. And the scriptures teach us, friends, that without faith it's impossible to please God. There is something about a heart that trusts enough to take that step, that God delights in, that God looks for. And so once, once God is called, once we have discerned this is what God is doing, that's when we, we have to screw up our courage and we have to say, okay, I'm going to take that first step. I'm going to go. I'm going to do this. When God calls, we take a step. There's a writer, Eileen Guter, <clears throat> that uh, <laughs> I love how she puts this. She says, you can live on bland food so as to avoid an ulcer, drink no tea, coffee, or other stimulants in the name of health, go to bed early, stay away from nightlife. You can stay off the freeway, avoid all controversial subjects so as to never give or take offense, mind your own business, avoid involvement in other people's problems, spend money only on necessities, and save all you can. You can do everything the safe way, and still, you can break your neck in the bathtub, and it will serve you right. <laughs> Listen, we want to be a church that takes the step when God tells us, okay, it's time to climb out. It's time to go. Third point here. Third is keep your eyes on Jesus. This is verse 30. It says, but when Peter saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Now, what happened? Right, the text tells us that Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and he put his eyes on the wind and the waves. And that's when he starts to sink. Right, it's, it, it's not enough to hear the voice of God. It's not enough to act once we hear it. But then there is that matter of staying the course. There's that matter of keeping our eyes on Jesus even though the, the storm's still going around us. And, and maybe you can relate to this. I know I can. It feels like there's been many times in my life where I'm not exactly walking on water, but I am being sustained by God in a pretty impossible situation. Yet the storm is still going. Right? It's been the exception in my life. 
when I pray and God zaps the situation and all danger and all concern is gone, normally there's a season of walking with God, being upheld by Him, but you're still in it. There's still things to fear. And what do we do in that moment? We keep our eyes on Jesus. We don't focus on the wind and the waves. We keep our eyes on him. Keep our faith planted in him. If we're going to be brave-hearted Christians, we, we need to do this too. And this, you know, this too is, is part of our story. And I, I don't think that we've always done this perfectly. But we've said from the beginning, we want to be the kind of church that trusts God to do big things in us and through us. And when he calls, we want to say yes. We want to say yes. We want to be people with brave hearts. And some of you will, will know some of these stories either because you've heard them or because you were there for them. But uh, I, I think about this going kind of all the way back to our origins as a church. And, um, you know, our, our origin story was supposed to be kind of a safe one, right? We were, were supposed to be uh, launched as a church plant uh, from a very large church with a very large budget uh, and had a date on the calendar for it and all this, but uh, about six months uh, before we were set to go out, the church underwent a leadership meltdown, basically. Uh, went through a pretty traumatic experience where about a third of the church left and about a third of the church budget with it. And uh, the elders came to me one day and said, listen, uh, we can't plant this church. It would be irresponsible for us to do this. It would be bad stewardship. And they were completely right. You know, they're laying people off. They can't pony up a bunch of money for us to do this church plant. And they said, um, we don't plan to lay you off. You know, you, you, can, you can keep your job. You can keep doing what you're doing. And maybe at some point in the future, we'll be able to plant this church. But um, we were deep enough into it and really felt a sense that we had heard God's call that we said, well, you know, give us a weekend to pray about it, and, uh, and let's talk about it then. And so we prayed, and, uh, and God really met us in that and, and in pretty dramatic ways. It's one of only two times in my life where I think God spoke to me in a dream, uh, and that, that's a whole other story inside of this for another day, but we came back pretty certain that God was still calling us to go. And so we went to the elders and said, hey, um, we don't want this to be or to look like a church split. Would you just give us your blessing and, and keep your money? Just give us your blessing and we'll go and we'll trust God to provide the money another way. And, uh, and they said, yes. And so we did. And the clock was ticking. My paycheck was going to end in a couple months. And we prayed that God would provide in another way. And we had... Uh, we had about 15 folks at that point that were committed to this idea of being a church. And, and they sacrificed big. I mean, it, it wasn't people with a lot of money. Most of them were under 30, right? And they, um, they made some big sacrifices in order to make this thing happen. I remember one young woman sold a car. <laughs> she sold her car to see the church happen. Um, it was a really amazing time, a really special time. Uh, we were still considerably short of the money that we needed, and we were 
about two weeks out uh, when I got a call from a, a small church in farming country in central California that said, hey, we, we heard your story. We've been praying for years that God would use us in reaching this next generation, and we've never known how that's going to happen. We're not well positioned for it. Uh, they're, you know, in cow country in this grain congregation, da-da-da. Um, so we think God is calling to help you. And so we just sent you a check for $30,000. It's significant to me that uh, that didn't happen until we were already out of the boat. That didn't happen until I had already given my job away. That didn't happen until a, a group of believers who didn't know what was going to happen already strapped themselves to this thing and said, we're going to do it. Uh, it, it. None of this happened until we stepped out of the boat. We had the call, but we had to step out. And we had to keep our eyes on Jesus because, you know, there were times when it wasn't anxiety-provoking, but for the most part, the steps of faith kept coming. Uh, we prayed from the very beginning that we would be a church that plants churches. In fact, we, we started with this audacious prayer that sounded crazy to us, even as we were doing it, that God would use us to plant a thousand churches around the world. Right? And we had no intentions of becoming a big church to do this either. We, we really hoped to be sort of a family-sized church, but this was our prayer. Uh, we were about two years old as a church when God opened the door for us to plant our first church. Uh, with, a, uh, with a young and talented upstart named Doug Lee and his family who, uh, who were willing to do this thing. And, uh, and we were two years old and about 100 people when, when we asked the church to give to this. And, uh, and at the time, the amount we were asking for was about 20% of our operating budget. It wasn't part of our budget. It was outside the budget. We just asked people to give that much in addition. And... And in five weeks, we saw that money come in. Uh, it was astounding. Uh, Twelve months later, we found ourselves in the same position, ready to start our second church. And same thing in the same call. That time, the church raised the money in three weeks. Now, if, if you had followed me around closely during those times, you... Uh, you would have seen me pretty smiley on Sundays, I imagine. But, man, there were some nights where I was not smiley, where there are beads of sweat rolling down my forehead because, man, if this thing doesn't go, what's going to happen? And there have, been, there have been so many times since then that we've been in that same spot. And, you know, sometimes because of stepping out in faith and particular mission God is calling us to, sometimes just because of adversity, the waxing and waning of the congregation, the recession that we went through, where we went through a period where we averaged one family per month moving out of the church for 18 months. That is a ton in a church our size. Uh, and that was one of three times as a church. I, I was teaching a bunch of church planners this week, and I always tell them the story. There, there are three times in our church's life when, when we were so close to the edge, I thought it was over. I thought we were going to have to close as a church. Three times in the last 19 years. And in those times, we have to ask, what are we going to do? Do, do we go internal? Do we stop taking steps as God calls us? 
Where are our eyes going to be? On Jesus or on the wind and the waves? Um, you know, uh, another one of those, and gosh, there's been many. I mean, folks, we, this last year we planted our seventh church. Do you know that? Which is astounding to me. That's local. Overseas there's more, of course. Um, when we started the ministry in Mozambique, right, we, we had a very distinct sense of call to start ministry in Mozambique, and it didn't make a lot of sense because it's one of only five Portuguese-speaking countries in Africa, and none of us spoke Portuguese, and it, the whole thing was weird. But the sense of call and the things God did around it were strong enough that five of us got on an airplane, and we flew to Mozambique. And we didn't know people. We were just going to Mozambique. We had one contact with a relief organization that was kind of hosting us, and we just prayed God would direct us to the right people. And, and he did. Uh, the, the last day of that trip, we made a significant connection with John and Maria that over time matured into something really, really beautiful. You know, and um, and they, are, they are now the Covenant Church of Mozambique. There's a new covenant denomination that was birthed out of this church because of that step of faith. In addition to three orphanages and three businesses where we teach trades to people and uh, a pastor training school, and coming up on 600 churches planted. It's, it's astounding what God has done. But the thing I want to highlight is on the front end, you couldn't see any of that. We had to get out of the boat. We had a sense of God's call, and we had to take a step. And God honored that as he loves to do. One more, um, which is kind of germane to, to our 2023 story. So our move to Sunday morning. Uh, any of you remember when we were a Sunday night church? Right? That was like our first 10 years as a church almost. We met on Sunday nights. We rented space from another church in town, and, um, and we loved it. I mean, Sunday nights was great. I loved being a Sunday night church. I think just about everybody loved being a Sunday night church. But that was all fine when there were like three kids in the church. But, uh, but as more and more people were marrying each other, and then as people were breeding, and there's children, it was, we were okay. But the writing was on the wall. We've got two, three, maybe five years of doing this before it's not going to be sustainable. We need to start praying about making a move to Sunday morning. And, uh, and when we first announced this, this was, this was at another annual family meeting, when we announced and said, hey, we need to take the next year and pray about moving to Sunday morning, there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> People were so unhappy about this. And as was I, I was like, I love Sunday night church. I don't want to move to Sunday morning. But this is the thing, people. We've got to pray about this. And we did. And interestingly, over the course of that year, people's hearts changed towards it, and people were kind of getting on board with us being a Sunday morning church. Unfortunately, we couldn't find a place on Sunday morning. Much more difficult to rent space on a Sunday morning than it is on a Sunday evening. And, uh, and in that, we had no intention of having our own space. But got a call from a pastor friend. He was the pastor of a church that was here in this building. He said, hey, we're going to merge with another church. Do you want my building? It's like, what? He said, I'm sure I do. Can I afford your building? And he says to me, probably not. <laughs> and, and indeed, it was a heck of a stretch 
for us to get into this space. It, it was a huge step of faith. And another one of those moments where I was like, okay, well, Starbucks is hiring. If this doesn't work, you know, I'll run to the next thing, whatever. But, um, but it was an impossible sum of money that we were faced with. At the time, it was $10,000 a month. And I think we were paying about a quarter of that as rent prior to that. But we prayed. We went for it. God provided. A couple of years later, we, we were like, okay, we're going to need space for youth. We're starting to have youth. Can we acquire the, the space next door? And we expanded our facility here by a third. And again, same thing. It was like, we're never going to be able to do this. Da, da, da. For God's calling, okay, let's get out of the boat. And voila. God, again, provided. And, you know, and even this year, you know, we're, in a lot of ways, friends, we're still recovering from pandemic. We, we're not back to full strength from where we were going into 2020. Um, and just rebuilding still on many levels. But, you know, 2022, we're like, how long are we going to coast? You know, let's press in. Let's, let's see what God is doing. Let's, let's go for it as best we can. And even this year. When you think about it, just in short, I mean, we had two trips to Mozambique, right? We're able to strengthen our pastors and just pour some fuel on the fire out there. Um, we've, we watched youth that have grown up in this church uh, come to faith, be baptized. Uh, God used others here in leading several other adults to faith as well. Um, you know, Brazilian church planted. Uh, quite a few new folks, nine of whom became members this morning, which is super fun. I mean, even... I mean, even in all this, God has just been so faithful. And that's, that's 2022, but, um, but 2023. So can we talk about 2023 for a moment? Okay. So there's three priorities that we want to put in front of you for 2023. And you'll see these reflected in different ways in the budget uh, when we come back after halftime and do, uh, do that part of our business. But um, 2023, in bigger context, we turned 20 as a church this year. Do you know this? We're, uh, we're going we're gonna to celebrate 20 years. I don't know what we can roast that's bigger than a pig, but, you know, we're, we're going to turn 20. It's, we're kind of like grown-ups, right? Kind of. 20-year-olds are kind of grown-ups. You, you still can't drink. You're still living, you know, on your parents' insurance, but you, uh, you can legally get a tattoo and probably will, right? That's us now, 20 years old. So... Um, so as we come to that, I'm, I'm looking at the next 20, looking at, at Life Covenant at 40 years old. And how do we need to be thinking about that? And what might God be calling us to today as we anticipate the years to come? So I want to give you three things. The first is investing in our youth and our kids. Uh, starting with the youth. So... Um, We've kind of never had youth as a church. When we started, the average age here was 27. We were youth, right? Um, but the youth, it is moving. A combination of kids who have been raised here, who are just aging up now, and they're middle schoolers, or some are high schoolers, and then, and then they're friends. Um, like, the youth group is great. It is one of the strongest things that we have going here, and we want to pour gasoline on that fire. Uh, to that end, uh, so one thing that we're, we're doing in 2023 is uh, we've moved Courtney McClure from being the Kid Life Assistant to the Kid Life Coordinator. 
That's one of the things you'll see in our budget that we're looking to do. And uh, the, the main rationale there being to free Cameron up to do more with the youth. Uh, direct more of his time in that direction. That's his wheelhouse. That's where he's best, is in working with the youth. So answering the question, how can we free Cameron to do more with that population as they grow? Part of that is, is moving Courtney from assistant into coordinator. And I'll come back to the Courtney part in a second here. But with our students, um, so our students, you, maybe you've noticed this. You certainly have if you're a parent of youth, but... Our students are now meeting twice a month on Sundays instead of once a month uh, for, uh, for class here on Sunday mornings. It may end up being three. We're, pr we're playing with that. Uh, the other thing we're doing is trying to move them more into serving and using their gifts. And part of the sticky faith research that comes out of the Fuller Youth Institute is that's a really key piece for kids growing up in the faith and retaining that faith is actually using it, actually serving so we're leaning into that, as well as just giving them more class-specific time together. And, um, and man, this has never been the case for us in the past, but we actually regularly have more youth in class than we do younger kids these days, which is nuts, right? Going into COVID, we'd have, on average, about 40 kids in, um, in our kid ministry and just a few youth on Sunday morning. And now there's, like, often 20-plus youth in the room over there, and then Wednesdays, are, uh, are at times bigger than that still. Anyway, so we're, um, we're leaning into that as well as, you know, more of the normal stuff, um, camp, doing that with our kids, uh, fun events, those sorts of things as well. Uh, that's the youth end of things. Uh, the other part of that is, is we're still really shoring up kid life. So kid life has been one of the areas that's been hardest hit uh, as a result of the pandemic where it's, it's been a very slow process, kind of step-by-step step rebuilding that, um, mostly due to, like, COVID restrictions, where for a while we couldn't have them at all. And then it was like, okay, we'll use the big roll-up door so we've got air coming in. And uh, then we were keeping families together to minimize spread. And then, you know, step-by-step step kind of expand. And we finally got to a place where we, we now again have, this is just a couple weeks ago, we have two classes again for our elementary kids. So they're broken up into lower and upper which they really, really need some more age-specific instruction. Uh, but we're able to do that, and we're looking on, on building on that further as we go into 2023 as well. And, uh, and Courtney, so expanding Courtney's role, uh, Courtney came on as just kind of strictly an assistant to Cameron, and uh, this worked for her. You might know this. So she's, she's working on a, uh, a PhD in the field of biology at UCLA. She's a smart kid. And um, that's like, that's her day job, is doing all that. But, you know, starving PhD student needs a little extra money. We're like, well, come on, you're a capable person. Assist Cameron. But as she's grown into that role, it, it's made a lot of sense to say, well, she is capable and gifted. Let's give her more responsibility in this, more money to go with that responsibility too. So she's taking on a bigger piece, and that's going to be helpful for our kids, but it's also going to help in freeing Cameron uh, to give more time to our youth. And we're looking to it, perhaps needing a youth assistant too. We're still, we're still playing with that a bit. But with both of these, we are going to need more volunteer staffing, both with our youth and with our kids. Um, particularly, and I'm, I'm thinking especially maybe of those of you who don't have kids in the ministry, particularly for the youth, 
most youth don't really want their parents to be the volunteers in the ministry. Do you know this? Um, maybe you remember this from being a youth. Uh, but, but we're going to be looking for some folks there as well as with our younger kids. So we pray on that. Maybe talk to Cameron, talk to Courtney about that. And there will be opportunities for that coming. But anyway, that's one, is investing in our youth and our kids. <clears throat> second, I'll do this one kind of quickly, but second, so leaning into hospitality for both fellowship and evangelism. So it's, it's been really interesting coming out of COVID, seeing people's patterns in terms of uh, worship attendance, which has been very difficult coming out of COVID, um, but, uh, but small groups and whatnot. One thing that's been a constant as we've rebuilt is people have been super responsive to food events, right? And this probably should not be shocking. This is not rocket science. You don't need to be working on a PhD at UCLA to realize people like to come together for food. But um, consistently, that's been really strong for us, whether it's potlucks after church, spaghetti dinners, um, you know, softball, roasting the pig, uh, whatever the case might be. Getting together and watching Elf as a church was so much fun. Um, we want to lean in more into that. Um, uh, more food after church, both uh, just kind of snacks and more, more lunches and potlucks after church. Uh, more events where we're just coming together and being together. Because that really dropped out. The floor dropped out on that during COVID. And that's part that we're still coming back with. Our relational ties have been weakened. And we need to rebuild those. Both in our connections with each other and in terms of our capacity to be a church that reaches out well. So there'll be more, more with that. And then finally, and here's where I'm going to invite you to pray about getting out of the boat in a more particular way. Uh, in 2023, we want to devote ourselves to praying about buying a building. What's wrong with this building, you might ask? Well, nothing. We love this building, uh, or I love this building. I think many of you do too. It's, it's a very good home for us. But much like our move to Sunday morning some years ago, uh, we're thinking about the next 20 years and praying about what good stewardship is going to look like, praying about what's going to be needed for us to root ourselves well in the community. We're, we're already actually quite well rooted, but what will it take for us to thrive for another 20 years and beyond? So the biggest lens we're looking at this through is the lens of stewardship. So uh, we, we came into this property at a below market rate. We had to stretch like crazy to make it happen, but still, it was a good price. Uh, on average, the, the price, though, our, our price increases are, are tied to CPI, the Consumer Price Index. And on average, over the last 10 years, uh, those increases have been 3% per year. So it's, it's modest for one year, but it compounds year over year over year. And it doesn't take very long for those numbers to start jumping up in a pretty dramatic way. And probably five years ago, we started asking, is this going to be sustainable? And we started kind of, as a leadership team, just sort of quietly praying, casually praying, God, might you be moving us to a place where it's going to make better sense for us to be owners rather than renters? Well, that brings us to, uh, uh, to 2022, where our, our lease reset in 2022, and the increase 
uh, as, as we came into this past year was 15%, uh, which uh, we all made that noise as well was in, in our leadership team when we were like, the increase is what? You know, called the landlord, and we're like, this must be a typo. Certainly, you did not just raise our rent 15% in one year. And they said, yes, we did. And let us show you, you're actually still under market value. But the conditions, the times being what they are, 15% in one year, uh, which is part of why we missed our budget target this year as well. We budgeted one number, expecting this is what the rent is going to be, and then we're hit with the surprise of realizing, no, it's going to be about, the increase is going to be five times more than what you anticipated. So that was last year. This year, we've had a whole bunch of inflation. You may have noted that on the news and when you go to the grocery store that this whole inflation thing is pretty real. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't gotten the number yet, but based on CPI, we're anticipating an increase in 2023 of an additional 8%. So, in two years' time, we have had our rent go up by, by nearly a quarter, by nearly 25%. That's a lot. And so we've been praying a little more intentionally, God, is there a change coming? Do we maybe need to move from being renters to being owners and to really explore that? And that is something that we are wanting to put before you as a church to be praying about as well. And, um, and in part two, uh, the budget will be presented for this year. Uh, the rent amount in that that we've budgeted is $220,000. I'd love to say that's just what it takes to keep the lights on in this place, but that doesn't include the lights. That's just the rent. So it's, um, it's, it's pretty crazy. So uh, listen, so we're gonna be okay. Like, we're, we're doing okay, and we're going to be okay this year as well, and we're going to be okay the year after that. I'm, I'm actually not worried about this. But we're looking longer term. We're asking the question, what does this look like down the road, three years from now, five years from now, 20 years from now? How do we, what decisions do we want to be making now so that we are still a thriving church 20 years from now? So... Um, and the question inside of that, would it be better stewardship to move from being renters to owners? One more piece in this, too. I don't know if this is going to be a factor or not, uh, but the, the Metro Green Line that is, is coming to Torrance, have you heard about this? So that line is coming dangerously close to where this building sits as well. And this is something Julia Stewart, who this, this is her job as city planning, uh, alerted me to this past week and just said, hey, you, you should be aware. There's, there's a chance this could really jam us up and gave me some terrible examples of what cities and county municipalities often do when, you know, and just kind of coming in and saying, okay, this building is done. You can't be here. So I don't even know if that's going to be a factor for us, but let's just take it all, put it into prayer, and let's pray. God, what are you doing with us here? And, and friends, like, honestly, no foregone conclusions in this. We don't know where God is going to lead. There's a chance that we'll get into this and we pray about it and we do our research and we, we discover, you know what? No, it's better stewardship to keep doing what we're doing. That could happen. I don't know. We're going to pray. We're going to ask. And part of this 
I mean, prices here are insane, right? We see it in the rent. You see it even more in owning. But we do have $220,000 a year to sink into a mortgage. That's not nothing. Now, my prayer, maybe you want to pray this too, but this is the way I've been praying about this this last year. I don't want to spend that much on keeping the lights on. It just, it galls me. I can think of other better things we could be doing with that money. So I'm praying that God will lead us into a situation where we're paying a lot less than that. How might that happen? Um, I don't know that it would be this, but it's one possibility. Uh, Every couple of years, there will be a a church in the South Bay that closes its doors. Most often, that church becomes condos. But sometimes you have a church that sees they're coming to the end of their life cycle, and rather than selling to the developers, they would love to see the property stay in the kingdom. And they work out an arrangement with a young church that comes in, and we help them in their time well, and we end up taking over the, the existing payments or the property upkeep or whatever it is. But I'm praying that maybe God would lead us into something like that where we have, we have a lot more money that we can be sinking into things other than paying to keep the lights on. So you following me? Does it make sense? You, you feel this? This is a thing. And we, uh, we want to pray this and pray it well. So... Friends, will you uh, you join with me in praying for it now? Okay, let's do it.